it and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. I had a long message, and then I heard we had hamburgers on the grill. And uh, so we're going to have to cut some things out. And all God's people said, oh, now you say amen. Yeah, I see how it is. Yeah, I see how it works. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, if you're not planning to come to the family camp, you ought to come. Um, I've got like two good messages, but my wife has worked on like eight others. So now we're, we're set for the week. So, uh, but seriously, it's going to be a great, great time to come out there. And uh, we're looking forward to all that uh, the Lord has planned. And how many understand this? Um, I, uh, I just stand amazed sometimes. You and I can plan some things and we put things together. And then we get there and I am blown away. I just always am blown away how God plans. And uh, man, his plans are so much better than ours, aren't they? And you get there and you're like, wow, wow. I, I didn't know you had this plan for me. And uh, God is so way ahead of us on every detail. First Samuel chapter 2. Now, I'm going to say this. This week, uh, I'm really planning on doing a a group of messages in Hebrews. Um, I did one this morning out of chapter 13. I'm looking at it, and I think I'm going to do one this afternoon out of Hebrews 10. And then this week, I'm going to be in chapter 12 and 13, really talking about the need for us to live by faith. And... uh, this afternoon, I'll do one. If you, I hope you'll stay around for it. It's going to be kind of a kickoff. It's, uh, I, I'm calling it the new and living way, a verse out of, uh, out of Hebrews 10, and how God, God desired for us to live a new and living way. And uh, it's not just new, it's a living way. And so we'll talk about that this afternoon. And, uh, and that'll be a real short, short message. Because now I'm facing the grill. Afterwards, I'm facing the nap. I don't know how many know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you do, don't yeah, you so so uh but anyway, um I, I always say when I say I'm preaching a short message, our people start laughing because they know I try my best. Um but uh we'll we'll see. But I this this week I, I really hope that you'll if you're able to come to family camp, I, I, I'm looking forward to the to the messages and just the direction I feel like the Lord has for us. First Samuel chapter two, would you stand with me? This is not Hebrews, and uh, I was just thinking about the special Sunday that you had this week, and uh, honestly, this is a brand new message. Um, this is, um, this is, the ones in Hebrews, it, it kind of comes out of some work that I've done in our church, but this, uh, this is kind of a, a new thought, but really just something on my heart that I just uh, felt the Lord just impressing uh, about this text this week. Verse Hebrews chapter 1. Did I say chapter 1? I'm sorry. So let's time out. I'm talking on too many levels. And I had a long flight. So uh, it is, it's actually my nap time back in Tampa. All right. So 1 Samuel 1. That's where I'm at right now. Is everybody there? Good. Now, there was a certain man, Aramathan Zophan of Mount Ephraim, and his name was uh, Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. Just want to mention this, he's not a Levite. He's, he's uh, from another tribe, and he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. When the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters. Notice plural, so she's got more than four children here. Portions, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house 
of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by, the, by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed... Look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. It came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved. But her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thine wine from thee. Now Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, have I spoken hitherto? And Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they arose in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore, it came to pass about the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah... And all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until thou hast weaned him. Only the Lord established his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks, one ephod of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord, as long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worship the Lord there. Thank you. you. may be seated. When we come to 1 Samuel chapter 2, there's... No other nation that has been blessed like the nation of Israel. We're reminded that they were just a group of, of, of people that came, the seed of Abraham, that found themselves through Joseph in the land of Egypt. They became slaves there. They were in bondage for 400 years. There was no education, there was no government system, there were no warriors, there was nothing there that they had except the word of their God. And I'm reminded as we read the book of Exodus how God worked on their behalf and kept his word. They were a nation with no land, no place, no, no government, no lawyers, no defense, no representation, except for Moses and Arad. And the Bible would say with a strong hand, God brought them out. Not only did He bring them out of Egypt, He brought them through the wilderness. 
And he established them in a land that was their own. A land where they would be their own people. They would wander about in 40 years of wilderness there and would eat from the man of heaven. God would supply their every need and all the nations around them would attest that there was no God like their God. Even Rahab the harlot would tell the spies when they came in of how the fear of God is upon them and how that they, 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 were, they were living in that great walled city. But every man and every woman was afraid because of the wonderful stories that had happened with their God to the nation of Egypt. Yet we find here with all of that history, with all of that background, with all of that deliverance, with, with all of the works of God upon their life, when they came into a land and lived in cities, they did not build. And they ate from corn. They did not grow. Where, where they, land, they, they lived in a land that would be described as a land flowing with milk and finish it. Honey. I mean, God, God set them up. He prepared everything. Yet with all that they have, when we come to 1 Samuel, we're reminded that 1 Samuel is a time where they live in the Judges. And if you were to go to the last verse of chapter 21 of Judges, you would find this phrase that every man did that which was right in their own eyes. That the men no longer followed God. That they no longer adhered to the law that was established. They no longer allowed their hearts to be governed to keep the words of the Almighty God. But no! They would simply do that which was right in their own eyes. In other words, every man became their own king. Every man became his own governor. Every man became his own lord. Every man became his own master. And I will live how I feel. We understand that that philosophy may sound popular in an ungodly world, but I want to tell you something. That philosophy leads a nation to shame. It leads a people to regret it leads problems to come and to abound in their life. And when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 1, I want to remind us of this. Every man does that which is right in their own eyes, and they are on a downward cycle. We could go to the tribe of, or to the book of Judges, and we would be reminded how that there was, how that there was slavery and poverty, and, and, and then they would cry unto the Lord. He would bring a judge, and he would bring a deliverer, and they would come back out only to fall into that, to that cycle once again, and, and to spin again throughout the book of Judges. But I want us to notice here that we're in a deadly time. We're in a crisis time in 1 Samuel. And this nation is going out of control. And I want to remind us in chapter 1 that not only do we have a nation where every man is doing that which is right in their eyes. Listen to me when I say this. We have a religious system that is also in counterpart with man's philosophy. The church has not led the people. But rather, the priests have followed the people. And we would find that Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were men that would be referred to as men of Belial. You say, Brother Nath, how is it possible that you could have God's men be also categorized as men of carnality? Well, read the stories of Hophni and Phinehas and you'll know that their worship and their leadership was abhorred by God. And, and there was nothing that stood for righteousness. You see, Brother Nath, what happens to a nation when the people turn away from God and then their religious leaders turn away from God? I would say that that nation is in despair and on its way to destruction. Can I get an amen? Yet we would come to 1 Samuel. And when we come to 1 Samuel, many of you that are Bible students would say, I know of 1 Samuel. Great book. It tells the stories of the first two kings. Saul started out right, but his flesh got the best of him. But oh, the prince of 1 Samuel, no doubt, is David. A man after God's own heart. That man that had the Lord as his shield. That man that fought Goliath and brought great victory and deliverance to the nation of Israel. That man in chapter 23 who inquired of the Lord and was a man of prayer. Oh, 
1 Samuel, boy, the king of David is the one that was the gem that really brought that nation back to the Lord. You, you, you read about him and his love for God and his heart for God and his passion for God. But can I, can I say this? I want, I want everybody, I want, I want you to focus on something. We read about 1 Samuel and we think about Saul and we think about David But can I tell you that both of those men were anointed and counseled by a man of God. His name was Samuel, the young prophet. And when Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed in battle, and the ark of God was taken... And when Eli heard the news and he fell over the wall backwards and he broke his neck. How many know the story I'm talking about? And, and, and uh, uh, the, the, the priest's wife has a child and his name is Ichabod. Because not only was the ark of God taken, but the glory of God has departed from Israel. What a statement. In that darkness, in that, in that time of confusion, in that time of uncertainty, in that time of we don't know what to do as a people, we don't know where to go as a people, aren't you thankful for a man named Samuel? I don't know that you and I can measure the impact of Samuel. I preached... I, 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 I do this for illustration. I, I, I was preaching on the life of David uh, two weeks ago at a camp. And uh, to God be the glory, there was like 19 teens that were saved, one counselor that was saved. That, that's, that's the impact of Samuel's ministry in 2022. I'm just trying to give a picture that we can't even measure the impact of Samuel and David's life, not just in their generation, but even today as preachers are preaching about them and teaching about them. Yes or no? But you know, have you ever thought when this nation was in chaos and in darkness, when every man did that which was right in their own eyes, when the temple was being polluted and corrupted with corrupt priests, that the salvation of an entire nation is found in chapter 1. Have you ever noticed that this great book does not begin with David killing Goliath, but it begins with a mother on her knees? When I look at this chapter, I, I think of this, that really what preceded... I want, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. What preceded David, what preceded Saul, what preceded Samuel, which was the salvation of a nation, a revival of a nation, what preceded all of this is the prayer of one woman. Now, Brother Nance, you're, 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 you're starting to make it sound like that the prayer of one woman impacted all of these men? It's exactly what I'm saying. It would almost be that the salvation of this nation was not based upon David. It wasn't based on Saul. It wasn't even based on Samuel that we could actually trace it all the way back to a, to a, to a godly mother who was barren, who prayed and her prayer Impacted. Let me, let me just say it this way. Could, could it be that the book of 1 Samuel starts on the basis of a woman praying? And, and these men, what we don't realize is the power of prayer from one woman who impacted a nation and is impacting us today. And here we are in July of 2022 and we're preaching on the prayer of one woman. Wow, that's amazing. I want to challenge you today, my friend, that as we come to our great nation, I'm thankful for America, but I, I, and I'm thankful for our history. I, I agree with your preacher when we talk about the hand of God that's been upon this nation and been upon Israel, and there's no doubt in my mind, listen to me, 
that what has made America great has not been our economy or our capitalism or our education or even our industry. What has made America great has been the hand of God upon this nation. You and I stand here today with freedoms and liberties. You and I stand here today with a nation that allows us to live with with the religion today that we can uh, open our Bibles without fear and we can preach God's Word and share the love of Christ without rebuke and without the fear of jail. And all of this is because, not just because of our forefathers, but because of a blessed book and a hope that was placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder tonight, listen to me, I wonder this morning when we talk about the strength of a nation, I wonder how many times that our nation has maybe received blessings and the blessings came and sometimes we may look at men as George Washington and Adams and Jefferson and and others that have been in the forefront. But I wonder if maybe God doesn't see a praying mother that was in the background that nobody knew, that nobody saw, a praying mother mom that was behind uh, liberty and behind pastors and behind religious men and behind generals that that great wars that fought for us. I I wonder if maybe there's not a praying family that was behind the scenes carrying the torch for what we share and believe in today. The strength of a nation. Hannah was doing more than just praying for a son. She was doing more than just praying for revival. She was literally praying for her nation. Oh, the impact that that would have upon that. And I, I just want to remind us this morning that the nation that we stand in and celebrate and the flag that we carry, our religious freedoms are tied not to men, but to an almighty God. Patrick Henry would state this, I cannot, be, I cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Treasury Department had an appeal letter that came dated... November 13th, 1861, it was written by Secretary Chase, uh, by a reverend. His name was Watkins. He was a minister of the gospel in Rileyville, Pennsylvania. He wrote this letter to the Secretary of the Finance. Dear sirs, you are about to submit an annual report to Congress respecting the affairs of the national finances. By the way, I I, I just want to read this, and I just want to remind us how ministers and the word of ministers impacted our government. Is everybody with me on this? So so stay with me just for a second. Um, Submitting your annual report to the Congress respecting the affairs of the nation's finances, one fact touching our currency has hitherto been seriously overlooked. I mean the recognition of the Almighty God in some form on our coins. This would make a beautiful coin to which no possible citizen could object. This would relieve us from the ignominy of heathenism. This would place us openly under divine protection. We have personally claimed. From my, from my heart I have felt our national shame and dis, disowning God as not the least of our our present national disasters and helpers. To you first I address a subject that must be be, um, agitated and looked at. As a result, the Secretary Chase instructed James Polk, director of the Mint at Philadelphia, to prepare a motto in a letter dated November 20th, 1861. Dear Sir, listen to this. No nation can be strong except in the strength of God or safe except in the defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on the national coin. And there it came upon this statement, in God we trust. When we look at America, I want to challenge you. We have departed greatly from that statement on the coin, have we not? 
Our schools are in chaos. Our young people don't know what gender they are anymore. We literally had this issue just a couple of weeks ago with Vacation Bible School. We had teenagers coming in who are going through different processes. And I'm just telling you, it's a shame the confusion and the problems that are being handed down by our society and by our government and by our schools. We're we're in a mess, friends. And I want to challenge us here today. Listen to me. The answer is found in God. But I'm telling you that what we need today is moms and dads that will be like a Hannah and that will turn and pray for our nation. I want to challenge you this morning that Hannah prayed a great prayer. She prayed a prayer that was able to save her son and her child. Oh, may God give us moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas that will learn what it is once again to get on their knees and to pray for their children. I was reading a story about a group of soldiers in World War II. They were pinned down and uh, the Nazis had placed some guns upon them and there was a machine gun nest and they they couldn't move forward and they had been there. Every time they would stand up, it would just spray a row of bullets and they had already had several that were wounded and a couple that were dead and they didn't know what to do and and, uh, they were talking and one of the guys said, hey, we've got a... We've got a private, and he, he used to play baseball, and maybe, maybe he could take a couple of hand grenades and, and, and just, you know, a miracle throw and just get it in that machine gun nest. And so they gave him two. And they said, now here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to just open fire and you stand up and, and, and try to get an accurate throw. And I know that every time we stand up, they're, they're, they're mowing us down, but, but you got to do it. And so they, they, they all got their guns and, and, and just fired away. And he stood up as best he could, took a couple of steps, launched one, launched two. By the grace of God, both of them landed, exploded the nest, and they were able to move forward. When he got home, he was talking to his mother around the dinner table. They were talking about this day and how that they were pinned down and how that they, uh, uh, she had given, uh, or he, he was given these two grenades and how that they had heard he played baseball in high school. And, and so he was describing the event around the dinner table and the mom said, what day was it? He started telling mom, it was, it was this day. And, and, and they, were, they were pinpointing it down and she said, hang on. And she ran to her room. She pulled out her prayer journal. She opened up her prayer journal. And in her prayer journal, it said something like this. Could not sleep. My heart was heavy. I got up and she had the time, the date, early in the morning, like three in the morning. She goes, I got on my knees and I began to pray for my son. She began to write down in her journal her prayer. And she goes, was, was, was this the day? Was this the day that I was praying for my son? And the boy looked and began to cry and said, Oh, Mom, thank you. Thank you. I I want us to hear this morning. Listen to me. We cannot underestimate the prayers of a mom and dad for our nation today. What kind of prayer is a great prayer? I want us to look at this passage quickly. And I want you to notice, first of all, great prayers come from broken people. Would you notice in the passage here the trial that is set for Hannah? The Bible would tell us a couple of things. In verse 2, it would say he had two wives. The name of the one was who? Look at it in verse 2. What does it say? Hannah. Notice how Hannah is first. Hannah was the first wife that he took. Some people would believe that the reason he had a second wife was only because Hannah was barren. Had Hannah had children, there wouldn't have been a need for a second wife. But he brings in Penina, and, and uh, she has children. And Penina is the second wife here, and, and uh, God begins to bless her. We know that she had sons, plural, more than one, and daughters, plural. So we know that she has at least four children. And yet we would find here that, that, that this is a great trial. And I want you to notice something about Hannah's life. The Bible would say in verse, uh, verse 4 that Elkanah offered and he gave to Paniah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But to Hannah he gave a worthy portion for he loved Hannah. Again, another reference that Hannah was his first love, the one that he chose. But, but, but she was barren. And notice in verse 5 the reason that she was barren. But the Lord had shut up her womb. 
I, I want us to understand something that you and I are in the hands of God. That God is a sovereign God. And He even controls the womb. Can I get an amen? He allows that, that process. And, and Hannah, uh, Penina, had, had several children. And, and the Lord is evident that He had closed up her womb. He, the phrase is, is that He shut up her womb. And so we would see this, this, this hand of the Lord. It was not against Hannah. It was for Hannah. I want to make that clear. But then notice verse 6. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret. And then once again it says it. For the Lord had shut up her womb. Now, stop two times in Scripture. It makes a statement. Her womb was closed and who did this? The Lord. And we see that the adversary... Man, what a term for Penina. Adversary? I've heard the devil referred to as the adversary. That tells me there was some pretty, pretty serious problems in the home. There was conflict going back and forth. And here is Penina. Notice what the Bible says in verse 6. And her adversary also provoked her sore. Let, let me, let me kind of illustrate this real quick, alright? Levi, come here if you would. Just help me, all right? Here's here's what what provoke means. How many have ever had somebody push your buttons? It's exactly what Penina and I'm sure the other children picked it up. Is that true, yes or no? Those kids probably watched Mama and said, oh, Mama makes fun of her. Mama mocks her. So that's what we do. So every time that there was an opportunity, every time they could, they could kind of provoke her, <laughs> they took another jab. Some of you have probably seen a boxing match. Not one boxer knows when he's got a soft spot on a rib. He, he, he won't go for the face anymore. He won't go for the knockout blow. No, no, no. He finds a soft spot. He, he, he starts seeing that squirmish. He'll, he'll, he'll pound that one spot, won't he? He'll work it and 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 work it. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to make that person break. He's trying to break them down. And here, here, is, here is Hannah, the Lord has shut up her womb, and here is Penina, the adversary, just working on her, and, and she does a pretty good job. By the way, life has a way of punching us, doesn't it? No, notice the wording here, and notice how descriptive it is when it says, and her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret. The word fret means to, to, to crash, to, 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 to come to a, a breaking point. She, she would push her and push her and push her and push her. And, 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 and what, what did she use? Oh, she used something that was very precious to her. She used something that was very dear to her heart. She took that which she desired the most and used it against her. Because notice the last line of verse 6. For to make her fret because, what did she use against her? Read the last line of verse 6. What did she use? The Lord had what? Yeah, 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 yeah. She used what was precious and near to her heart. She used, she used that which was, which, was, which was precious to her. And, and, and she would just punch her and work her over uh, in, in that situation. And we find here that, that all of this is taking down and, and there's a brokenness in her. As a matter of fact, thank you, you can be seated, Levi, sorry. No, notice what it says in verse 7. And as she did so, year by year, she went up to the house of the Lord. So she, what's that next word again? Verse 7. Provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. So you've got provoking her in verse 6. You've got provoking her in verse 7. You've got this woman weeping and, and did not eat. 
And Elkanah doesn't have the answer. Notice Elkanah, her husband, uh, said unto her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? And how many wives want to say, What are you saying? Hey, babe, why, why are you weeping? You got me. I mean, I'm better than ten sons. No, you're not. But how many understand that there is a gap sometimes with a husband who wants to fix his wife and doesn't understand the, the depths of, of, of brokenness that she's at. And he's, he's trying to mend it and he doesn't know how. And he's just talking and trying to see how he can fix her. And he gives her more meat and she, she's not eating. I almost feel like Hannah's going through a serious depression right here. She's weeping. She can't stop. She, she can't eat. She's, she's being provoked and punched every time. It's, it's, a, it's a very sad time for Hannah. But I want you to understand something. Listen to me. The great story about Hannah is this. Her brokenness did not leave her to bitterness. Her brokenness led her to the Lord's. Do you understand what God is doing in your life? God is doing the greatest thing that He can do with your life. He is preparing you to pray. Greatest thing you'll ever do in this world is pray. Why is this coming in my life? Why is this happening in me? What is God doing in me? I'll tell you what exactly what He's doing in you. He's preparing you to pray. Now I'm getting bitter. Then you're going the wrong way. By the way, some of you may be in this room and you're lost and, 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 and you, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And, and you can, if, if, you'll just, if you'll just stop just for a moment and if you'll look at your past for a second, you're going to see some bumps and some bruises and some heartaches, and you're going to see some trouble in your life, and you're going to say, what has been going on? I'll tell you what's been going on. God is trying to get you to pray. I had a man in our church, and uh, he got saved. On, he, he, he didn't get saved on the operating table, but he had, a, he had an uncle that was a, a, a Baptist pastor who had tried to witness to him, and he had run away from home. Long story short, his sister had been killed in a bar situation and he had kind of led her in this lifestyle and he was living in the bar and, and uh, had all these uh, fake IDs and was finally arrested for all these checks he was writing and just, he'd just become a good con artist is what he was. But he couldn't live with the fact that his sister had died. He tried to overdose he said, I'll never forget, I was laying on the operating table or in the emergency room, and they're pumping chalk down my stomach. And he says, of all people, he says, the doctor was a, was a female, and she walks in and she says, looks like you've tried a lot of things, but have you ever thought about trying Jesus? He said, I couldn't talk. I've got this tube down my throat and all this tape, and he says, she began to tell me about Jesus. And he says, I had heard it before, but I heard it differently when I was laying on that table. You know what God was doing in Dan's heart? Preparing him to pray. And some of you are lost. Can I just say that God is trying to bring you to a place to where you call upon the name of Jesus and say, oh God, I need a Savior. Hear my prayer, oh God. And I promise you, He'll save you. But there are some in this room you are saved. You're going through some things. You're like, God, what, what, what are you doing? I've got this thing in my life and it's provoking me sore and it's causing me to fret. And, 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 and this thing that I, that I desire, it, I, it, it's like I can never obtain it. Lord, what are you doing in my life? Could I, could I tell you that God may have a bigger picture, Hannah, than just you having a child? See, this, this needed to be a serious prayer. How many understand that this prayer was more than just a child? How many understand that this prayer was the salvation of a nation? Is everybody with me? This, this was a great prayer. Great prayer is going to require great brokenness. Is everybody with me? 
Get with me. Your hamburger is just, come on. Brokenness. So when she comes to the altar, I want you to just see the brokenness that's in her. I want you to see here how that she comes. Notice, notice what the Bible says. Verse, verse 10. And she was in bitterness of what? Soul. Hey, listen to me. She wasn't emotional. The Bible makes it very clear. I, you know, I've seen some, have you ever seen somebody like on TV and they're praying and it's all a bunch of emotion? How many understand that God wants us to be serious about our prayer life? And here is God listening and, and, and God, has, God has closed up her womb and, and God is in control. God is not being cruel. God is not unfair. God is not unkind. God is not trying to just dangle something over Hannah and say, ah, if you were a little bit more like Paniah, I'd give you a kid. No, no, no. God is a merciful God, but He has something great in mind. He, he is preparing Hannah for a great prayer. Great prayer is going to take great brokenness. And here is Hannah praying unto the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 10, and wept sore. I want to challenge us this morning. You say, Brother Nance, I watch the news and I get so angry. I'll tell you what we need. No, no let, me, let, me, let me tell you what we need. We need some Christians that will be broken. We need some Christians that will be prayer warriors. We need some Christians that will get on their closet and know how to weep sore for their family and for their children and for their state and for their country and for their mission field. I'm telling you, we've become so comfortable. We no longer have tears when we pray. Here was Hannah. She wept sore. Can I challenge you quickly that not only was this a great prayer because of the brokenness, this was a great prayer because she was fervent. Have you ever seen a bulldog? I'm, I'm not a big fan of bulldogs. I don't want to offend anybody that has bulldogs. But what I know about a bulldog is, is that a bulldog was trained. The reason they're called bulldogs is because they were, they were tenacious. They were used by cowboys for bulls. That big old bull would get in there and that bulldog, from what I understand, would go up to that thing without any fear and latch on to the nose. They would train him to latch on to that nose and that bulldog with its weight would bring that cow or that bull down and that cowboy could walk out there and get it off. And, and, but, but once he latched on, he, he, he just held on. And I, I read this passage and, and if I can say this in a kind way, this mother that maybe looked so frail and weak and broken spiritually, she was a bulldog. Spiritually, she said, God, I, I need to hear from you. I, I, I need your help in my home. My, my home's become a place of conflict and my husband can't help me and Benina doesn't like me and her children are against me and I, I have no place of peace. I have no place to turn, but oh God, I need you and I'm not letting go and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pour out my heart. Reminds me of what James says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Finish that verse. What does it say? Veileth much. Man, I watch Hannah at that altar and boy, watch, watch how she prays. You'll notice the, the vow that's mentioned in verse 11. Verse 12, it came to pass that Eli marks her mouth and, and, and then you'll notice in verse 12, now Hannah, she spake in her heart only, her lips uh, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. Eli says in verse 14, Hey woman, put away your drunkenness. And in verse 15, she clarifies it. No, 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 no. I'm not a woman of alcohol. I'm not a woman of Belial. I would never, I would never come to God's house in that condition. I'm a, I'm a woman of broken spirit. I'm a wo woman of great grief. Notice verse 15. She says, I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Verse 16, the last line. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken thitherto. Can I challenge you this morning? A great prayer is going to be a prayer of brokenness. A great, great prayer is a prayer of of fervency, tenacity. But can I just say something else? That a great prayer is a prayer of faith. I want you to notice, <laughs> I love this thought here. 
The Bible is very clear about something. Eli, now I want you, I want you to follow me. I'm going to try to be fast. Eli did not hear her prayer. Is that correct? Bible says, now we, we read her prayer, but the Bible makes it very clear that her mouth moved, but no words came out. All Eli sees, he doesn't know what she's asking for. All he sees is her heart, her tears, her brokenness. He doesn't know what she's praying for. I mean, she could be praying, God, kill my husband. Take care of Penina. But that prayer wouldn't be associated with this heart, would it? No, this is a broken heart. Now, I want you to notice here that he doesn't see it, but I think this, no matter, no matter what, do we all not know that, that God's heart is near to a broken and contrite heart? David said in Psalm 51, a broken, a contrite spirit, thou wilt not despise. So, so Eli here, notice what he says in verse 17. He hasn't heard the prayer. He doesn't know what she prays. But oh, he, he sees the brokenness. Notice what he says in verse 17. Go in peace and the God of Israel. What's the next two words? What are they? Grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did what? She did eat and her countenance was no more sad. Can I just tell you what she did? She heard from God. I, I, I want to remind us, listen to me, my friend. God is trying to work in your heart. God is trying to work in my heart. And God is trying to work through a broken prayer and a fervent prayer, but a prayer of great faith. Oh, how God desires to work in your heart and in great faith. She had heard from the Lord. Eli had told her that God would, would, would pronounce and take care of her prayers. And she was no more, I love this, notice verse 18, the last uh, three words. No more what? Say it with me. No more what? Sad. Whoa, 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 whoa. Is she pregnant? Yes or no? Not yet. But has she heard from God? She has. She has. Just going to trust God and watch God move. Do you have any idea how God is looking and waiting on faith? A couple of years ago, Amy and I had the opportunity... We were in Davao, uh, the Philippines, and we were driving by, and as we were driving by, we saw this little tiny building, and the pastor asked, he said, hey, have you ever heard of Tim Tebow? I'm from Florida. I'm a Gators fan. I said, yes, I've heard of Tim Tebow. He goes, well, that's the Tebow Family Hospital. It wasn't a very big building. I said, could we go in it? He goes, oh, yeah. We go in there, and Tim Tebow was a part of it, but really it's his family that, his family are missionaries in the Philippines, and so they, they have, through funding, set up this hospital. It's not a huge place. They, they do specialty surgeries. They do cleft palates. They do arms and limbs that are backwards for little children. And uh, these kids are born, and they, they literally break and reset and turn them around and make them the right way. It's, it's amazing what these doctors do. Amy and I are walking through. They had just had a room of surgery and the lady said, would you like to come in and see some of the patients? I said, sure. So we step in there and there was a mother. And you and I, we may think we know poverty, but until you go to another country like that, you really don't know poverty. There was a mother laying in bed with a little girl. The little girl had had surgery. Was it her arms or her legs? Her legs. They were backwards. They had broken them, reset them, turned them around. Now she would walk for the first time. That's pretty amazing. She was in bed. She was crying. 
they did because of the surgery, because of the cost, they do both legs at the same time. It's pretty chilling surgery, harsh recovery. I said, so what does this cost? She goes, oh, the surgery's free, but they have to get here and they have to pay to go back home. I said, really? I said, where does the mom stay? She goes, well, the mom will stay in the bed with the girl. There's no place for the mom. She's the only one that could come. I said, well, so how'd they get here? And she goes, well, to be honest with you, they came here and she sold most of her items just to get the ticket from her city, which is pretty far away, to come down here. I said, really? I said this, how's she getting back? She doesn't know. She only had money to get here. I said, so they don't have a way to get back to their city? Nope. And I'm looking at this mom crying and this girl crying. And how many want to think that my wife's heart was greatly moved by this scene? She's elbowing me. How much money you got on you? We were more glad to pay for that bus ticket. Now, I'm not saying that to brag because I, I want to just say something. 50 bucks to us is not the same as 50 bucks to them. But you know, I left there and I thought about this. You know what God loves? Faith. Yes or no? She came, sells what she has, fights to get her daughter to this hospital, has the surgery, and it's in God's hands how they're going to get back home. Do you know how many times in my life I've been to the Tebow Hospital? Say, Brendan, do you think God had that all set up? I'm convinced he had it all set up. I'm convinced that we would walk in there and see this mother and hear their story and, 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 and be moved. And, 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 and we were just, listen to me, we were just a tiny piece to the sovereign puzzle of an almighty God. But I want you to know something. God loves faith. God loves faith. And somewhere we need to pray and say, God, I'm going to give it to you. Well, what are you doing? I'm going home and eating. What? I'm trusting God. What? I'll be back in a couple of years with a baby boy. Well, how, how can you have so much confidence? Well, the confidence is not in me. The confidence is in my almighty God. And by the way, if you'll read that verse, you see Hannah's prayer. But how many see the hand of God in that where the Bible says this, that the Lord shut up her womb and then the Lord remembered Hannah. What a God. See, he wasn't absent. He was present the whole time. She was praying more than just for a son. She was praying for a nation. And I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. You have no idea how, how great your prayers are. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you might...